You're listening to Fair Game with your host, Robert Smith. Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Fair Game podcast. I'm your host, Robert Smith. Today's guest fantastic performer and an old friend he's a magician a hypnotist an av stage tech wizard he's going to tell us all about that he joins us today from independence kentucky folks this is mr ron diamond ron welcome to the show good to be here robert thanks for having me hey man i gotta say i'm digging your background right now you went ahead and threw my logo up on your green screen that's so cool I love it. Well, I do a lot of other stuff for a lot of different corporations, and I always like it when I interview them and make it look like I'm part of them. You know what I mean? Like you're in my studio now, buddy. (laughs) I dig it. It's really cool. Thank you for doing that. So listen, you're a magician, you're a hypnotist. Uh, We'll get to the production stuff here in just a minute, but let's talk about the magic and the hypnosis. Tell us about those shows. Well, been doing it for this year in the fair market. I've been doing it for 30 years this year. 30 years. And uh, as a career, um, I'm about to hit show number 20,000 in October. So you can say I've been doing it long enough to, I could probably end my career now and be happy with my, the results, but it all, it's all based on starting with magic. When I was a little kid, I was one of those it was in an environment in elementary school where there was no such thing as a kid having uh, uh, the syndrome where you just, are frantic all the time. Oh, no ADD back then, huh? No, we didn't have any of that stuff. Uh, <laughs> oh, so you had it. It just hadn't been diagnosed. <laughs> it had, yeah. So my, I had a teacher that basically said, well, when I could prove to her all of my schoolwork was done, she introduced me to magic books because she figured I could never learn enough to learn it all. As you well know, in magic, it could, it gets a lifetime and you can't even scratch the surface. So right. I had a very smart teacher. And so when I would get my work done, got into magic and that started in first grade and it, I never looked back. Hypnosis came along well after that. I had spent uh, 10 years with uh, the Di- Walt Disney Company. And then when I left Disney and went into the fair market, uh, it was during the college days that I really, really kick-started the show for pay with the magic while I was in school. Yep. Yep. That sounds familiar because I remember working and uh, going to Eastern New Mexico University out in Portales and I took out a little... Uh, classified ad in the uh, in this the the school's uh, I guess weekly newsletter that just said hey kids magic shows uh, you know call Robert and then I would do probably eight or ten magic shows over the course of the year I'd, I'd give a friend some money to I didn't have a car at college so I'd give a friend some money to drive me out to wherever the show was there in Portales and I'd perform and I'd give them like 15 or 20 bucks or whatever it was and it worked great <laughs> so I get that I got really lucky. My wife and I were both students at TCU in Fort Worth, Texas. And uh, there was a place of, uh, away from the campus called Camp Bowie Boulevard, which we called basically Restaurant Row. And they had an adult version of Chuck E. Cheese's. And if you can imagine a kid's Chuck E. Cheese, but done for adults, I mean, that's what it was. And then they had a theater that you could, that was tiered and they had nothing but a movie screen and they would show old movies in there while people ate. And I convinced them to let me take over that theater while I was four years in college. And I built an entire show complete with, I won't give any details in case there's non-magicians watching this, but they let me build (laughs) like levitations and all that stuff right into the stage so that I could do a full scale show. And it, 
and it allowed me to hone the illusion craft. In fact, I had cubby holes built into the side because back then we could, you know, we would use doves and rabbits. So I've had cages and stuff built on the side of the stage that I could put my doves in and my rabbits in with feeders. And, it, wow. and I did that for four years. By the time I got done, I had a, I felt like uh, I had a really good show. And, you know, being in the tech back then, there was no digital. So I was creating, I would do things like have signs that drop down with my logo, but I would have buy these big, massive machines that if I hit a button on stage, it would wind up the strings on the, on the wheels and pull pins on the signs to make it drop down. Uh, so we were creating all kinds of analog situations to make, to make things happen on stage. That poor business was probably like, they, you know, they got this guy that shows up and goes, let me do a magic show. And they're like, okay. And they had no idea what they were getting into. Well, by the time I turned that that theater stage back over to them, they probably didn't know what they had their hands on. By the time I wow. cleared everything out, you had holes in the floor and holes in the wall. <laughs> That's <laughs> funny. That's funny. And somewhere, somewhere along the way, you got involved with fairs. Do you remember your first fair? Yeah, it was the uh, uh, Collier County Fair in Naples, Florida. My wife and I, my wife was serving her very first pastorate. She's a minister and, uh, and she was serving a church there in Naples. And that's, I was doing mostly resort shows. I had a partner. We used to call our show Vegas on the Road. Hmm. And I had a partner named Jim Steed. And uh, we did sort, it was sort of like the Siegfried and Roy idea where we both about the same age, two guys doing magic together. I played the I played the off the wall sort of comedy guy and he was the straight man. And right. uh, while we were doing resorts in the area, cause Naples is full of those things. We would do registry in the Ritz Carlton. We were doing a lot of things corporately and the Collier County fair saw us one time and asked us if we'd consider doing something out at the fair. Uh, that's how it all started. And of course, a year after that, Sarasota came in after that. And, I, and this next year will be my 30th year at Sarasota. So they were my very first fairs in the business. Right. So 30 years you've been doing that now. So this was would have been what, early 90s, 91, something like 91. that, 90? Yep. Yeah. And it's so pretty much all I've done is I was in sixth grade, Ron. I was in sixth grade. <laughs> yeah. And, that, and that's going to lead us into what I think about, you know, I think it's important. My whole career, I've tried to say that, especially with magic and especially with hypnosis, there's sort of this secretive element of uh, I'm doing my thing, leave me alone kind of attitude. My attitude's always been we're all, I get what I'm supposed to get. My yep. philosophy is if I don't get it, there's a reason why or somebody else gets it because they needed it or it was their turn. But yep. my real philosophy is there's nothing worse than bad people out there doing things that are bad because it makes it bad for all of us. So if I can help someone become better at their craft and in exchange, they help me be better at my craft because even after 30 years, I'm still learning and, yep. and I, hope I never quit. We all are better for it. And the ones that kind of want to just push you aside and say, no, what's mine? I don't care if you're doing, um, how, hey, man, there's no such thing as original stuff, hardly. It's what you do with the stuff we got. If you make it your own, you make it your own personality. Right. You, you make it yours. Even if someone else is doing a trick, you can make that same trick look totally different than the other person's doing it. Absolutely. Uh, you know, there's such a 
competition, especially among magicians, that's like, oh, I did that trick first, or I did this, or I did that. And, um, you know, it kind of brings to mind after years after I'd gotten the fortune machine going, what, probably a year, I guess it, it might have been the year before um, COVID hit. Um, all of a sudden I start getting, I, I literally had gone out to the airport to pick somebody up there in San Antonio. I was at IFE and I start getting all these phone calls and text messages. Have you seen the other fortune machine? And I'm like, what are you talking about? Somebody else has a fortune machine here. Oh my God. They, they, they stole your idea. They copied you. And my, when I, I was like, all right, all right, calm down, calm down. Let me come in and see what's going on. And I looked at it and I'm like, I can't trademark and the idea i hope whoever does a fortune machine does great with it you know yeah. i promise you he's not taking anything away from me no. and i'm probably not taking anything away from him just like you're like you can go work a, a hundred days 100 200 fair days a year ron you're not taking anything away from me because i'm getting mine and you're getting yours and that's just if you're good at what you do you're going to get your work and if you're not getting your work it's probably because you're not, you're putting yourself out there and people don't know about you because if they know about you and they know your reputation, Hey, listen, there's, what is it? There's 26,000 fairs and festivals in this country a year. I only want 20 of them. Yeah. How hard, I mean, I mean, if you really, if you can't get 20 and you're decent, there's another <laughs> problem. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you're talking large state and County fairs that, that would book us, I think, Oh man, I think Marla probably, if I remember when I interviewed her, I think she said it was something like 15 or 1800 that are like the major state and county fairs. Not that doesn't count the, the food and wine festival and all that thing that all of us could go get a little piece of that pie too. That's all. And there are thousands and thousands of those. But again, like you say, even if it's 1800 that are the major events, the only, I like you say 20, Hey, if they're 10 day fairs, I only need 10 of them. <laughs> you know, I need, I need hundred to 120 days a year. Some people are getting 150, 180. Some people are doing 70. Like you just go do it. And, and it's also why we've learned over time to expand our capabilities. I mean, I started out doing strictly magic. Then I was right. doing magic with hypnosis and then I branched out into technology. And that part of that was because my wife will tell you that my, I don't have a drug addiction. I have a tech addiction. God I mean, almighty, always, do you ever have a tech addiction? Yeah, no, I, I, <laughs> I have always been into tech and it's, it's been my go-to drug. <laughs> well, let's talk about that because somewhere in there a number of years back, um, all of a sudden it was Ron Diamond, the magician, Ron Diamond, the hypnotist. And now it's Ron Diamond and you've built out this amazing AV uh, lighting support, um, you know, production for uh, for fairs that you can literally, and this is whether they, just to be clear, even if they, if they're not booking you to do your acts, they can just straight up book you to come do production. Is that correct? That's correct. And I got my teeth, I got my teeth wet by, uh, this is a philosophy I was always had. I went to work with a production company in the summers in order to learn the craft, you know, they would put you in, man, I was unloading buses, I was hauling equipment, I was setting up lighting and learning the cues, I was doing sound and doing monitor mixing for bands, but the purpose behind that was, and I've learned from experience, I think I, I ran into enough entertainers that had never experienced that, that had become either prima donnas or they treated production crew with ill respect. Yep. I've always said, every entertainer should have to work at least a month doing production 
being a back stage hand, hauling equipment, doing the things back on the back end. Because once you see how hard a job it is for those that support you, you respect them. And yeah. they, they deserve our respect because without, the, hey, you want to have a bad show, tick off a sound guy yeah. or tick off a lighting guy and yep. see how bad your show goes. Oh, yeah. I remember once, actually, it was my, my very first showcase ever was at Arizona Fairs. It was November of 2009. I was um, doing a magic bit. And there was one trick I was doing. You'll know it. It was Kevin James's Floating Rose. And so you understand the light cues are important in that. And we had them set in the pre, uh, you know, we preset those. And then when it got to the point where the cue is supposed to hit and the lighting guy is supposed to adjust the lights, he didn't. And I had people coming up to me afterwards saying, well, we saw how that one worked. And I was like, well, what can you do? I'm not going to go. Do? I'm not going to go ass out the lighting guy for that. I just. I'll just let it go. You know, now if I was doing, if I was at a fair and that was going to be in three times a day or whatever, then I would have gone up and said, Hey, let's make sure we hit that light cue. And, but you just don't, I don't, I don't think you, you chomp on your, your production guys. I, I admire that. I did not know that about you, that you had gone. This is not young 20 year old Ron diamond doing this. Who's trying to cut his teeth and make a mark on the industry. This is older, wiser, well experienced Ron diamond who is not above going and doing the grunt labor i didn't really start learn the writing. craft yeah i didn't start the tech stuff till i was 45 i didn't really start right. digging in and the, and all of these things even at, even as i'm getting toward the latter part of my career then i'm i'm still looking at it going every chance i get i'm going to dig in and learn more i want to keep learning to the day i'm no longer doing it and then even after i retire i'll probably still learn because it's it's fun it, it's never lost its fun. It's not a job. Well, you seem very passionate about what you do. What is it about this industry that drives that passion? The people, literally people. the people. I mean, the people I've met, the, like you or, and Mark and the, and the other entertainers, the fair, I mean, the, the fair managers I've gotten to know that have become like family to me. And, you know, there's something to be said when you write a Facebook post and somebody you work with takes the time to go, oh, yeah, or get a big like. I mean, you don't realize it, that in itself is just a kick in the, in the pants that says, I'm doing it right. You're doing it right. You're, you're doing it right. If people are acknowledging you and your friendships are flourishing, if you're if you if people are avoiding you, you're doing something wrong. Something and wrong. That's something wrong. I think so. If you're not if you're not being validated by people in your industry, something's wrong. And it, sound, uh, it sounds like you really connect with people in this industry. I've made an attempt to, and I make my mistakes. I mean, listen, I am a I'm a the thing that's easy to misunderstand in me is my passion is so out there that sometimes it can get, it can be, be looked at as over the top. People don't think I'm, I've had people, especially in the production area, it's like they're so used to being treated like crap. I come in there gangbusters, like, what can I do to help you? How can I make your show better? I'm trying to put in 110% and make, if I get complaints, it'll be like, is this guy for real? Like, is he really that out there and exuberant about his job? It's like they look at a lot of these guys are so used to people just being mundane and not caring when they get someone that's really passionate. Sometimes it throws them off their, their feet. So yeah. for me, it, the balance is tough. Well, it sounds like 
you're also really empathetic towards the people that are working with you, that the other AV people, tech people, all, because it's never one person that does the show. There's so many different people and it sounds like you're really empathetic to all of them. Well, here's what I, I'm going to give you a secret. You already know this secret, but a lot of people don't. People often go, why are you sleeping in a trailer behind the stages? Why are you not staying in hotel rooms? Why are you staying in campers on site when you can get, uh-huh. That's because that entire time I'm off site, I'm either helping the fair in a way that has nothing to do with my show, or I'm helping the backstage crew in some way they are not expecting. And to me, it's not about the fact that I do, I think I do a decent magic hypnosis show. The reason I can go back to a fair 10 and 15 and 20 years in a row is because I've endeared myself to the people because I'm there beyond just being the performer. I become, you literally become like a family. So that by staying on site, sometimes in some conditions that aren't the best, I make myself available even when I'm not in performance mode. That pays off a dividends. Seems like you understand that your show is just one part of the much bigger picture. It's not important. It's exactly right. It's if the big enough, picture. There's, there's a lot of good hypnotists and a lot of good magicians out there. I'm just one of them. But if I give myself something that they can look at beyond me as an entertainer, then it's icing on the cake. Let's take a brief look back at 2020. When did you realize this pandemic is going to be a crisis for our industry? Well, it hit me pretty hard. We, I had just finished up with you, by the way. We just finished up the uh, Lee County and Southwest Florida Fair in Fort Myers, and I had moved into Sarasota. And sure. six minutes before the fair was open, we had about a two or three hours ahead of that had started getting word that something was going on with, with a virus. And, but within six minutes of the fair opening, they shut the fair down and like didn't even allow it to open up. It right. was now there was a whole lot of confusion going on at that time because while the fair was shutting down, they had a major concert on Sarasota beach and a whole bunch of other <laughs> stuff that was allowed to go on. The fair was the only thing locally that shut down. Right. Uh, I have my own personal reasons why I think that happened, but it really started to hit me. Oh man, if they can shut this thing down at the very beginning and slam it shut like a door and, and not care that what it's going to affect, I think we're in for a long haul. Yeah. It didn't take, but the very first event to hit me because uh, it it was such, it was almost like going into shock. In fact, we're all standing around, looking around. We had the bands on stage. They were standing there with their instruments when the police came up and said, shut your stuff down, pack up and go. It wasn't even empathetic. It was like, shut down, pack up, go home. That was it. And it was a shock. It was a shock. Were you able to perform at all in 2020? None, zero. Well, no, I, toward the end of 2020, we got, had one event in Texas. Yeah. I, I, uh, there were a few states that went, we're doing it, man. Who cares? <laughs> so, for some yeah. reason, I kind of went, I'm glad you did it because I care. But uh, <laughs> yeah. I, got to do, I got to do a fair in Texas and it was toward uh, the end of September, first part of yeah. October. But yeah. other than that, after, after March, nothing. Well, we're now uh, hopefully on the tail end of this thing. We're now we're recording this late May of 2021. 21 is almost half over. I get like 
and a month from now we're going to be halfway done with this year. Um, what's the rest of your year look like? Well, they, uh, there are a couple of fairs in July that I, I, I won't name them because I don't want to cause any negatives. But <laughs> you don't want to jinx it. That, yeah. Basically, <laughs> there are some that I think made a big mistake canceling. I mean, some of them, the fairs decided not to have a fair two and three months before and thing. But of course, I'm beginning to learn that a lot of it had to be, a lot of these fairs are struggling, not because they can't do a fair and legitimately because of people coming, it's because they've laid a lot of people off and these people have moved on and they can't get retooled fast enough to get their fairs operational. That's right. what's affecting the earlier ones. So I Correct. think the earliest one's going to probably be, we'll kick back into gear in August. I'm scared. If nothing else cancels August, September, October, first part of November should look pretty good. Yeah. So the, I've learned, um, you know, I think Jerry Hammer said it best when he was, when he canceled Minnesota last year, when he announced it was that Minnesota needs a lot. They're like a big airplane and they need a lot of runway to get off the ground. Yes. And so that's for those bigger fares. It makes sense that they're canceling, you know, three to four months out. I was a little surprised to hear the Ohio state fair had canceled, um, for this year. That one caught me by surprise. I figured if they were going to cancel, it would have been a little closer in, um, but well, I think they're one of the major ones that really, you know, they, they wound up laying, they had to lay off 70 something people or something like that. Right. Seven or eight staff people and can't get tooled up in time. Plus uh, Mike, I don't think getting the fairgrounds back from the vaccinations fast enough. Right. And I think I, my sense is there's two things that have really, that are hurting fairs right now. One is if they don't have the staff, like you said, and they can't, they're struggling to get people rehired in time to be able to get it. I mean, this, you can't run the Ohio state fair with seven or eight people <laughs> that ain't going, that ain't going to fly. And the other thing that the, that's the biggest challenge is not so much canceling of the fairs, but the fact that for so many of them, they lost their non fair rental income for, you know, when I was talking to Marla, there's, it's probably, I think she said something like 70 or 80% of the fairs in this country, their non fair rental, you know, renting for the RV and boat show, the gun show, all that stuff, renting their space like that, renting their horse stalls, all that jazz. That's more than 50% of their income oh, for like 70, 80%. So we, we look at the fair from our side and we go, oh, well, there's the Ohio State Fair, or the Florida State Fair, or whatever. And we see the fair, we see that 12 days, and that's what we focus on. But the lion's share, for most of these fair, the lion's share of their income is the rest of the year. And that Absolutely. those that lost all of that, are sitting there going, do we even have the money to get this thing off the ground this year? So right. we're going to hope yeah. that they, it'll take a while to get back in shape. I, I'm, I'm assuming there's going to be, uh, there's going to be a lot, and there's going to be a lot of people on our end of the stick, entertainers and stuff that we may never see get back into the business again. They may not be able to. Well, and a number that I, a handful, like three or four that I've spoken with that their hope is to get back in, you know, come IFE, but they're also at a place now where they have gone and gotten other, they're in other careers now. They've, then they're like, actually, I've got health insurance. So I'm, I'm not sure what the future is going to hold for me. And I understand that. And I don't think anybody has any disrespect or, or grudge to anybody that was a great entertainer. And now COVID has pushed them in a different direction in their life. I just want everybody to be in a safe spot where they're, they're okay financially and they're happy. And yeah. for, for me, and I know for you, that means open the fairs. Let's go. <laughs> Come on. Absolutely. Well, I'm, hope, I'm hoping to get, 
if somebody asked me the other day, how much longer do you want to do this? Well, I'll never quit doing it. But what will happen is I'll start doing, I'm already starting. I've, I've reached my point in my career. I'm looking maybe six or seven more years at the most of doing it, what I'd call full time. And then right. I'll, and I'll do it, pick and choose. I may do a fair here or even a, 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 a speaking engagement here or something there, but it's going to be because I want to, not because I have to. I've long ago tried to get to the point where by this age, I'm, I'm trying to get my business indebtedness down to the point where I don't have to do 15 fairs a year. I, if I want to do 10 or eight fairs a year, I can make a good income with 10 or eight. So I'm right. already starting to, and probably in the next, I've already started phasing down my tech. I mean, my wife is like jumping for joy because set, <laughs> if people saw the amount of setup I do as a per, as an individual, it's, it's insane. And uh, so I'm starting to downsize. I'll start doing less and less of this and this and smaller speakers and smaller this and just get it down to where it's just smaller venues is all I'll do for that kind of stuff. Right. And I'm hoping in probably about three years, it'll be nothing but performance at that point. I'm, I'm gradually reaching that point where I want to get there and, and I can do that and not hurt and miss a beat. Well, speaking of getting things open and getting going again, it was great seeing you down in Naples, man, to be oh. back at that convention and how'd it go for you? When, well, it always is fun for you. You're probably getting at that point too. But after this was my 30th year at that convention, so I, I don't know if you're that point. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how old you point, think I am. <laughs> well, the point I make about that is that yeah, I started that convention at what seven years old or something. Never mind. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So my point about the convention when I go there now is that I don't. I don't go there trying to get work as much as I go there to see everybody and to support yep. everybody. Uh, the other acts, believe it or not, I, I get as much as I need there in Florida. So I go there to say, Hey, I want to introduce you to my friend over here that entertain. And it's not just with our agency either. If it's a good act, I want to help them be, do what they do. And yeah. sometimes, you know, as well, as I do some markets are harder to break into than others. And it helps if you got somebody that goes, Hey, this guy I've worked with, they're really good. Yep. Florida is definitely one of those markets. And I think there's a number of reasons for that. Um, I think one of the reasons it's tough if you're out of state to break in is because of the theme parks and because there's just such a concentration of really good entertainment there. All the circuses are there. The carnivals are down. Like there's such a high concentration. So it's tougher for someone like me out of state to charge the fee that I need to charge in order to cover the rental car and the flights and all the added costs. Whereas you've got so many people right there in Florida or nearby, you know, at Georgia or, or close by that they're a two hour drive away from the fair. So it is a challenge. And the way, the, the way you overcome that challenge is to just build really strong relationships and friendships with people, with those fair managers, with entertainment directors, like you said, uh, it all comes in time. You know, I get mine, well, you get yours. Thing, the other thing I wanted to say that, that I've learned one of the things I've never done. And sometimes I've hurt because, but I've stuck to it and it's paid off. It's not easy to be young and think this way. I did it early on because, uh, someone you will know, one of my mentors, I got lucky enough to study under early on was, uh, Harry Blackstone Jr. Who yep. happened to live really close to me when I lived in Fort Worth. And he basically said two things to me in the career. He said, 
If you can learn, number one, not to try to be everything to everybody. In other words, he says, find one or two markets, become well-known in those markets and concentrate on them. And you're going to become almost, you're going to become famous in your markets. And he yeah. said, try to spread yourself too thin. You're not going to be known of it in any of them very well. And the second thing he said that I've stuck to and said, it's not been easy, but I've stuck to, he said, you figure out your worth and stick to it. If you let people talk your worth down and take away your value, you'll never get it back because they will learn that they can take advantage of your of your giving yourself away for nothing. And if and by get and even if you go in there with the attitude, well, let me start off giving my way of nothing and I'll work my way back up. No, it doesn't work that way. If you what I've learned and what he taught me was you don't give away your value, you take something of value away that is part of what you do in exchange for them not being able to afford what you're trying to give them. Right. For me, that's what made me expand into lighting and tech because I can take away lighting and tech and still get the value that I feel like I'm worth by going, okay, you can't afford this. Then we'll take this out and this out, this out. And it's still going to be powerful. It's just going to be what you're paying for. But right. I will not go in and say, if that guy's going to do this for this much money, I'll do oh, it. I'll come in 50 bucks less. Yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. And you know, especially with magicians, it's very cutthroat. There are, uh, I've had fair managers call me back years ago when I started as being a magician, early, early in 2000, like eight, nine, 10. I'd have fair managers call me and say, hey, I just got a call from uh, another magician. Um, and he, he told me, whatever you're paying him, I'll come in for 100 bucks less. Straight up, they tell me that. And I'm like, well, what are you going to do? And they're like, laugh at him and book you. Yeah. Well, it says something because literally what people don't realize, if you're willing to do that to someone else's face, then in my mind, I'm thinking, what are you going to do behind my back? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So my philosophy is all, plus I don't have to worry about what did I say to that one or that fair goes, wait a minute, you did it for that for them, but you're charging me this. I have consistency across the board. I don't care who you are. Yeah. I treat everyone the same. The price is the same. And if it's the same show, everyone can compare notes and they, and, hey, you know, too, in this market, they really compare notes. They do. You'll be found out in a hurry if you're not being straight up. They do. Yep. No, I, I completely agree. You know, it's interesting. You had those two bits of advice uh, and they were from Harry Blackstone Jr. Two of the best bits, business bits of advice that I ever received was from another AV guy who actually started as a magician and illusionist uh, and now does, he's got his own production company out of Ohio. His name is Steve Klein. And he told me two things. First, never believe your own press. And number two, takes 20 years to be an overnight success. Exactly right. The, the problem we have in this industry, and it's not, it's not, I say this industry, it's across the board, whether you're going to be a, you know, trying to be a YouTube star or a musician, or you're trying to make it in the fair industry, or you're trying to start your own your law firm or whatever it is, we have lost patience. We don't understand. We, we have this society now that, I can go on the internet. I can take this phone right here and I can look up all the information and all the history of the world in seconds on Google. It's an instant gratification society. And we have lost perspective that for things to really mean something, you got to put in years of hard work and you got to be patient. And there's times that that hard work is going to pay off like that. 
And there's times that that hard work is going to take years and years and years and years. And let me tell you, man, and it, and it will make you feel better because right now my wife and I are fortunate enough. We now have, we, we, we have a beautiful home, but we never forget that our very first place we lived, that we had to step on the foot of our bed and stand on the mattress to open the closet door to get our clothes out because there was no room to open the door if we were standing in front of it. Remembering the hard times and what got you somewhere makes once you would get there feel that much sweeter, but it also helps you get that attitude of let me help somebody else get there. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. For sure. Remembering where you came from and remembering who you are is really, um, I think an important trait for long-term success. And I think just being a, you know, a decent, decent person in the, the long term. I mean, I, uh, I look at it in a perspective this way, Sarah and I live in a small, what I would consider a small, it's only, it's like 1500 square feet by American standards. It's small. But to probably 95% of the world, we're living like kings. So why, what am I going to complain about? I got everything I need. And the fact that I'm living in this country, take it all away tomorrow. Let's go. I'll rebuild it. Well, the nice thing too, is you're already on that path. If you weren't on that path yourself, you wouldn't be standing, sitting in front of a microphone right now, because by doing this stuff that you're doing, this is an easy work you're doing. This is hard work. And to do what you're doing, you're setting the table from people that will watch this to be able to learn from it, to take other people's learning from it. And, and it's going to be passing the torch while we can still light our own. Yeah. No, and that's that's literally what the podcast was from the beginning was um, I was feeling a, kind of in a lonely place. I, you know, it was last October. I'm like, God, I haven't been around anybody in forever. I miss everybody. And um, this became kind of like my own little private IEFE convention or Florida Fairs convention uh, on Zoom that I could share with everybody. Everybody in the industry can get on any of the platforms, be it Apple or Spotify or, or the website and listen um, we're on the back end. We're starting to produce a lot more of the little, um, the, the short form videos from these that we're going to put out And my thing. This is, I've been asked a lot, how much money you got to be making money with that. There's no money in this. There could be. Okay. Somebody at home right now, Ron, I guarantee you is listening, going that idiot should be making money with this. Maybe, maybe, but I'm more concerned about providing value to this industry with the trauma that all of us have gone through in the last year or, or 15 months or so, if I can provide value, like we said at the top of the show, I'll get mine. You'll get yours. It's exactly right. That's what it. You get out. I believe in the law of reciprocity. I really do. It comes I back, think- man. It yep. sure does. Listen, um, we're getting close to being out of time, but I would be neglectful if I didn't ask about Susan. How is your lovely wife holding up through this last year? Well, it's been hard because she's probably put in 20 to 30 hours a week more being during this than she did regularly because she's having to do church now from home and Mm -hmm. from church. We just now started after a year and two months being able to have people back in service. Mm -hmm. So we so she's been in the middle of, you know, we've been building broadcast capabilities to do online services. She's been having to deal with uh, dealing with people. You talk about Zoom that she lives on Zoom because that's how she counsels people and how she gets work done and all that. But here's what's really great is bad as the year has been in the, in the virus respect. Holy mackerel, what our industries have learned 
and how to use the new mediums we've discovered that people have been afraid. It's caused people that hate change to make change. Yes. And these changes have been for the better in the long run. She's about to go on sabbatical. She'll, she'll be, uh, she's getting three, every five years, our, our pastors in our church get five, three months to, to go and retool and replenish their own uh, excitement for ministry. So wow. she's going to have three months off. She's about to go into a research project from what's called moral injury, which okay. is dealing with uh, first responders, uh, dealing with the uh, mental and the spiritual problems, uh, decisions they've had to make making that's hurt them morally and spiritually. You know, I mean, they've had to make decisions on who lives and who dies and yep. things they've never had to do before that hurt them physically and spiritually. So yeah, she's, she's busy. And we, that's how I say as hyper as I am, that's where, why our marriage is survives. Cause I basically tell her what to do. She tells me where to go. It works perfect. <laughs> well, you, you give her a, a hug for me though. I know it's been a while since I've seen her. She is a phenomenal woman. I mean, listen, any woman that would marry you has to be a phenomenal has woman. To be. Absolutely. <laughs> so well, listen, we're just about out of time, but before I go, everyone who comes on the show goes through a little series of speed round questions. I'm going to ask you six quick questions. Got you it. give me your best answer and we'll wrap this up. Are you ready? I'm ready. Favorite fair food? Uh, I'd have to say, oh my God, Chinese. I've just got to have Chinese everywhere I go. Best concert you ever attended? ELO, Electric Light Orchestra. If I open the music app on your phone right now, which artist would be playing? Uh, probably, uh, good Lord, it just skipped my mind. Oh my Lord. Probably ELO. I just love ELO. I was going to say speed round. Around. Come on, speed round. Yeah. ELO, got it. Um, last book you read? Uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. That's a good one. What fair would you like to perform at that you have not yet performed in your 30 years? Georgia National. You've never done Georgia National? Yeah. Wow. That's a, I just figured that one being, you know, with you working yeah, in the Southeast no, so much. Never been there. I wished I had, but uh, that would be my goal was to be Georgia National. Actually, if you're listening, let's go, man. Make this dream happen. <laughs> <laughs> Last question. If money is no object, where's the first place you go on vacation once the pandemic officially ends? Positano, Italy. Sounds nice. It's right on the Amalfi Coast. It's beautiful. Ron Diamond, where can people learn more about you? Uh, it's uh, uh, Triangle Talent, believe it or not. I'm on their thing there. It's my exclusive agent. Uh, I don't do my, or Facebook. If you go Ron L. Diamond on Facebook, that's the best way to reach me because I don't really do my own website except Got it. So Ron L. Diamond on Facebook, or you can give Mark Sparks and Triangle Talent a call and, and chat about uh, bringing Ron out to your event. Ron Diamond, magician, hypnotist, stage tech guy extraordinaire. Such a pleasure visiting with you, my friend. Thank you for coming on the show. You made it easy. Always a pleasure. Thank you all for the privilege of being with you today. You've been listening to the Fair Game Podcast. Fair Game is a production of Robert Smith Presents. For more information, please visit robertsmithpresents.com.